We've only been here uh, for mama. a week, mama. and the cat is still uh, afraid of us. Come, mama. Mama. Uh, Why do you think this mama. cat will not play with us? Mama. Uh, ma ma mama. Mama. Ma ma she just walked away again. She just walked away. Mama. Mama. Uh, I think we're gonna need a lot more time to get this cat to like us. From 87 Lafayette, it's Coronapod. I'm Matt. And I'm Adam. So Adam, clearly we have a hard time with this cat that we're living with. Yeah, and I say this as she gently rubs herself back and forth on Dana's cap. So clearly we are doing something wrong that uh, our roommates have figured out. You know, it's kind of exhausting. I've spent like every day telling this cat that I love her and that she's the best cat in the world. And every time I walk down the stairs, she runs she away. Bolts. She, she bolts. totally bolts. What is the deal with this? Ah, yeah, I don't know. And, and it's interesting because despite the complete lack of affection that I want, right? Like, Catherine, oh, I need a lot of Catherine, affection. Catherine taps the couch once and Momo jumps into Catherine's arms. Despite, despite Momo not giving me what I feel like I need in this time, which is unadulterated love mm. and like, yes, you are the thing that'll get me through my day. Despite the fact that Momo has given me none of those things, Momo is the only thing that is getting me through this quarantine <laughs> right now. I mean, I would be going crazy if not for this beautiful little thing. And she has given me nothing. No, no, when, if you told me you are going to be quarantined, you are going to have a pet, that pet is going to help you, I would assume that it would be the pet is loyal, the pet cares, the pet doesn't know what's happening and supports you. I didn't realize that it would be maybe just... Other ways my stress and anxiety would be kind of, other outlets I would have mm. have now just been completely compressed into this beautiful ball, and that ball is me trying to get Momo to play with me. So I said on our show a few days ago that what was surprising me was that I was really liking living with a cat. And I have to say, I may need to reevaluate that a little bit, a little bit, and I mean no offense to Momo the cat, or Momo the cat's human. All I'm saying is that I just need a little bit of love. I, I think part of it is that as we're doing this, Momo is sitting very contentedly next to Catherine, and Catherine is gently stroking Momo, and here we are spending all day trying to pet Momo, and Momo, Momo won't have it. Hours per day. You know, it, it, is, it is frustrating, and I won't lie, we're at the end of week one. We've been here now... I guess as of tomorrow night, we will have been in isolation for a full week. And I'm not going to lie, I'm feeling kind of frustrated. Not just about the cat, but just about things in general. This is hard. It's really hard. I mean, this the fact that I am not even 
mandatorily cooped up, right? Like, I can go outside, I can go shopping, mm. there are other people here. This, to me, if this is what prison was, I would be like, well, that is unconscionable and against the Eighth Amendment, right? And then you have people who are in solitary <laughs> confinement for 23 hours a day, and you're telling me that is not cruel and unusual punishment? Yeah, this like, feels this pretty... Is, yeah, it that, is. that is definitely cruel and unusual. This feels pretty bad, too. We are very fortunate, but nevertheless, you know, I got to the end of the workday today, and at about 6.30, 7 o'clock, I just found that I was in a really foul mood. Bad mood. I was in yeah. a bad mood. Yeah. And I couldn't really figure out why. And then I realized I've been cooped up. I haven't really gotten to exercise as much as I need to. But what's hardest is we don't know when this is going to end. It's just indefinite. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is very challenging. But the thing that I keep reminding myself is that we are doing the right thing. Mm. We are at this critical juncture where, I mean, there's nothing, what we're doing now is the right thing to do. Um, what we did two weeks ago was the wrong thing to do. But we are starting to hear about hospitals that are filling up that uh, I believe there's one hospital in Long Island that the journal just reported had, you know, 50% of the patients they had were in intensive care and a striking mm. portion of them were aged 20 to 40. So, mm. you know, we joke about, oh, the CDC released that statistic just to scare us. Like, there are more young people, so of course more young people are going to be infected. But, no, but it, it, it's real. It's real, and, and for us it's, it's still really really dangerous and you're right that we are starting to see it's not like Italy yet but we're on our way we're on our way and that, that's what makes me feel that's what makes me feel better about um, staying inside all day because yeah. this is literally the best possible outcome is mm. if at the end of this I'm like oh god I just had to stay inside for a month two months three months right there are mm. so many horrifying things that are happening and I'm very lucky to have a job that continues to pay me and yes that means I have to work remote every day but that is you know the the, the smallest thing on the kind of broad spectrum of issues mm. has we you know on this podcast we've only really talked about the anxiety of this virus are you feeling any anxiety about the economy it's it's hard every time I read the news should I be worried about the virus? Should I be worried about the stock market and, and what's going to happen to the economy? You know, we were pretty young in 2008, and we certainly don't really remember the dot-com bubble, and we're definitely younger than Great Depression stuff. And so this may be the first real crisis that we were uh, in the labor market for and, and participants in. I think don't worry about the stock market. Um, the rules that everyone's been saying is don't touch your face, don't touch your stocks. And I think that's correct. Um, what I am worried about is are we going to respond as a country in ways that are productive long term? Coming out of 2008, there was some movement towards better financial regulation to prevent the types of things that happened in 2008. Mm. Coming out of this, I don't think... Yes, we could do more from a pandemic response standpoint. But what I really would love to see coming out of this is, are we going to build a better social safety net to support people? Because 
it is really, really bad. The unemployment numbers were already staggering when they, they were released. they crashed the... The New York the State, New York State system, system went down, and they are only going to get worse. Pennsylvania said they got more applications in a single day than they normally get in a month. So there is no way that you, um, you come out of this without building a better social safety net. So hopefully that's what we see. Hopefully we also see the government, if they bail out some of these essential industries, um, you know, there's talk of bailing out the airlines. Hopefully that's not just a cash giveaway. The government can take seats on the board. The government can do all sorts mm -hmm. of things to kind of treat some institutions that we're bailing out because we think that they are not corporations but are a utility, right? Airlines, don't think of them as companies. Think of them as a utility that you have to have to make the economy function. And as you start to move to that understanding, which is why you spend all of these billions of dollars to bail them out, we'll then treat them like a utility. So my worry is, yes, there's going to be a lot of short-term pain, but it'll be really, really bad if none of that short-term pain materializes into a stronger social safety net, into a more responsible capitalism. Mm. So that's, those are the things that I'm thinking about. You know, I was surprised, actually. A lot of people have been saying very similar stuff to what you're saying. And in fact, even from some Republicans, people are talking about, you know, sending checks to every American stuff that normally is more on the left. But I was surprised to see that every uh, everyone basically voted for Joe Biden in the primaries this week, which went totally unnoticed. But it sounds like the agent of big economic change, Bernie Sanders, has not really been very successful in what one might think would be his moment. What, what do you make of that? I mean, no one is really paying attention to the primaries anymore. Yeah, I actually didn't even realize that there were primaries on Tuesday until Tuesday night. <laughs> who even voted? People who were not socially distancing when they <laughs> needed to be. I mean, there's a, there's a bigger discussion to have, especially in New York State, about the fact that the New York State Constitution bans vote by mail is obviously about to be a really big issue. But I think Bernie's message resonated with a, a large group of people, but it was a specific group of people. And I think rightly so, like there are bigger priorities to deal with right now. And he, he never got the support he needed to win. And I think that became very apparent. And after that, people kind of... Mm, consensus safety, safety yeah. candidate. Yeah. So I think at that point, what are you going to do, right? Mm. Um, I believe there's, you know, there's a bit of trying to Elizabeth Warren and like, oh, well, this is what my plan is. But she, she is really an academic who understands these things um, in a way that I don't necessarily think um, he does or that he necessarily wants to invest in the same way in terms of like putting these policies forward. So, I mean, coronavirus was ill-timed for everyone. Certainly ill-timed for Bernie Sanders in that, like, he's not going to go out with a bang, but with a whimper as we deal with this mess that is our own fault, right? Like, our government screwed up how we responded to coronavirus, and now we pay the price in, in lives. Mm. You know, speaking of politicians and uh, speaking of not being prepared, what's your take on our favorite politician, or maybe least favorite politician, our mayor, 
Bill de Blasio. How's he been handling the crisis this week? Uh, I mean, the, the fact that Andrew Cuomo essentially put in place a shelter-in-place order and, you know, after... But emphasized it is not, not shelter-in-place several the, times. Understand the terminology, right? Um, the fact that de Blasio, like, no one really felt like de Blasio was going to do anything. Everyone is just looking to Cuomo now. And I think that is completely the right thing to do. I feel like on a national scale, too, people are looking to Cuomo. Um, mm. I've gotten so many texts from people who are like, I watched Cuomo on television, and then it cut over to our president. And as much as I hate, quote, King Cuomo, I would rather have him be president by, like, an unbelievable margin right now. So I think de Blasio is finished. Like, it is insane. He will be a lame duck mayor from the day the city reopens. Um, He just hasn't done anything right. I mean, transportation advocates are, like, so pissed at him because this is a great opportunity to say, like, parks are too crowded. We need to social distance. There's less people driving. Like, let's turn some of these streets into pedestrian streets, into bike lanes. Your favorite. There is stuff he could do now that would at least, like, he he seems to care about his legacy to some degree, right? Like, because what else is he going to do after this, right? No one's going to vote for him. And there are things he could do right now that would not only help us right now during COVID-19, but also help us down the road. And he just, I don't think he wants to be mayor right now. I think he really wishes he somehow won the Democratic nomination. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I just think he doesn't care, is checked out, and, like, tried to use this moment as, like, a here I am, and then just bungled it so badly that Cuomo had to be, like, not even had to be, like, this is Cuomo's dream, right? Cuomo is the quintessential windbreaker governor. Like, Mm. put on a windbreaker, hop in the helicopter, and go help people. Um, And he is exceptionally good at that. And, um, yeah, I think, like, Cuomo would have steamrolled de Blasio no matter what, but I didn't expect de Blasio to, like, dig a hole, put himself in it, cover himself with soil, and be like, look, I've already, like, pre-smoothed it for you. (laughs) So, I'm excited, not because of your wonderful metaphor about Bill de Blasio, but because we actually have our first live guest ever here in our podcasting corner today, and that is Dana... Our roommate and my significant other. And Dana is here to tell us a little bit about what it's been like to live with two quote unquote viral podcast hosts during the past week. Dana, welcome to Coronapod. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. I wouldn't be anywhere else otherwise. So here I am. Does make booking you as a guest relatively easy. Still a hot commodity. Still still a challenge, but always here for you guys. So we'll, I'll, I'll ask the first question, and we'll, we'll deal with the easy ones first. Was the podcast a good idea? And be honest here, our loyal listeners are going to listen no matter what you All say. All 11 of them. So I think the podcast has been very good for morale in the apartment. It's been nice to kind of... Uh, all converge around this little corner we have over here at the end of the day to listen to you guys chat about all sorts of things while we lady folk hang out on the couch and listen and fawn over you. I don't really have much of a response for that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I guess. Yes, thank you. Love, love the fawning. Always the best. How are you feeling about isolation? I know... Uh, and this is 
one of the things that's so great about you, you are always enthusiastic to be out and exploring the world. And now that that's maybe a little bit harder, how are you feeling? Not gonna lie, I am very restless these days. I'm usually a very restless person, so this should come as no surprise. Um, but yeah, I mean, usually I, um, my commute is actually over two hours on a regular day. Mm. And on days where I don't go all the way into my office, I at least go to a co-working space where I go to a place to do my work and I'm able to kind of silo off my work from the rest of my life. But mm. now that I'm working at home, it's very easy to just kind of have it bleed throughout the day and there's no kind of rise and fall to it. Um, I've been finding that, uh, as you know, I am a big exercise person. So I've been exercising a bunch, but trying to not go totally crazy with it because I worry that I and a bunch of my running friends who all uh, like to run a lot and use it as a big stress release will all just kind of um, ramp up our mileage too quickly and all get injured within a week of being isolated out of having nothing else to do. Mm. So trying to avoid that. Um, I wanted to ask about, uh, you are an academic, right? You work in academia. What, and in economics specifically, what things are people looking at? What are kind of the, you know, in 2008, in the response to that, tons of really interesting papers came out. What are people chatting about right now as, do we think this is gonna happen or is this gonna happen? Is it, we can learn from this? What are, what are people kind of saying? What do people wanna do? What data are people looking for? Yeah, so I don't really think data from this particular moment is really going to materialize in the level that it can be like studied in a very large-scale macroeconomic way for another couple of years. Um, but I can certainly see a lot of opportunities um, for looking at kind of state-level variation in the generosity of the social insurance response to this crisis. Um, so... Uh, basically, like one of the big macroeconomic questions we ask around any crisis is going to be like, how does X Y Z policy affect um, changes in employment in a particular area and in the aggregate? Um, and so that comes through um, not only the channel of making businesses hire people, but also through the channel of boosting aggregate demand and helping people to be able to buy things and then generate new employment by creating demand for products. So uh, there are a lot of different policy levers that could um, be plausibly used to generate that variation. Um, and I think there will probably be a lot of um, federal policies, but also a lot of kind of changes at the state level. Um, some of the things that have been talked about um, more in the media than in, really in the academic conversation um, are uh, just sending checks out to people, which would obviously be something that's um, not super varying. Um, but also there would be potential stays on evictions and foreclosures, which could help people smooth their spending um, from this period into another one. Um, or potentially providing bridge loans to small businesses. 
um, emergency unemployment insurance. Um, and one thing that's particularly interesting to me, it, since I've um, been kind of on a lot of mailing lists for small businesses in New York, is that I find that a lot of small businesses are sending out emails asking for emergency support through GoFundMe for their staff. Um, but one thing that's kind of perverse about that is that if the staff is still employed but doesn't have a guaranteed income because they're being paid through a GoFundMe rather than through their regular wages, it may not necessarily be optimal for them to still be at that business rather than claiming emergency unemployment insurance and then getting reemployed after. So kind of thinking about the optimal way to structure um, emergency government transfers to small businesses and to the people who work for them is something that's really interesting to me. Um, right. So, so in the sense that even though you are Venmoing money or contributing to this GoFundMe, from a like aggregate economic standpoint, it would be better for these people to be laid off. It would be better for them to engage the existing social safety net and potentially even take some of the new opportunities that are coming up. Now, that's not to say that like Domino's hiring some new people, Walmart hiring some new people in any way counterbalances the massive layoffs we're mm -hmm. seeing, but being told that you are going to a zero hours work week, so you are still employed but can't file for unemployment, that's kind of something that could end up happening, a perverse kind of effect of the GoFundMe strategy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, I'm not um, a small business owner myself. I'm not making any of these decisions, but um, that's one kind of perverse effect that I could imagine might happen. Mm. Well, Dana, thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, and we'll obviously be seeing you around. Take care, boys. See you shortly. Thanks. <laughs> so, Adam, we're heading into the weekend. What are your plans for the weekend? So I uh, spent the afternoon assembling my desk. I did um, notice that. Today I did notice we, the hammering. Today we ran out of uh, rooms for people to take calls as all of us had calls and video chats at the same time. So now, now the desk is assembled. That gives us one more spot for someone to take a call. I made some bread dough, so I'm hoping mm. letting that rise overnight. Cook some tomorrow. But otherwise, no real major plans. I'm thinking about doing a social distanced bike ride with my dad, depending on the weather. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I'm trying to get used to it. And I feel like if you get super excited about the weekend every single week, and like if the weekend is some magical time where all of a sudden you can go outside, even though you really shouldn't go outside more on the weekends than you would any other day. I think that could almost be, you know, bad. So I'm trying to take it calm. Treat every day as it comes. How about yourself? You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, it's funny that you say that because I was just talking uh, with someone about how, you know, the weekend is, is no longer really the weekend because all these days are just going to kind of bleed together. And so I think we're just going to have to learn to live with every day kind of being pretty similar. But this weekend, I am hoping to get a bunch of reading done, and hopefully I might get outside for a bike ride. But one thing I can say is we made it through the first week, and hopefully a week from now we'll be back on this podcast, and uh, things in the world will have gotten a little bit better.
Thanks for listening to Coronapod. Until we chat next, stay healthy. Coronapod is brought to you by Momo the Cat. Follow Momo the Cat at Momo underscore is underscore a underscore cat.